I can really go to town with the with the traditional type of treatments over here just because people are a little bit more acclimated and, and there's a lot of tolerance for whatever a practitioner suggests. You know, the people respect you as a as a practitioner here. So if you're like, hey, you know what, you need to do moxibustion in your case for these reasons. They don't really need you to tell them why. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Unless you're driving your car at this moment as you hear my voice, pause. Take a moment. Take in what's happening around you. Is your attention drawn to what's coming through your visual channel? Since you're listening to a podcast, you might be more attending to the sounds around you. Or if you're kinesthetic, your attention might be on what you're feeling. And isn't it curious that there's this shifting ability to bring attention to or away from each of the sensory streams? Again, for a moment, note, what makes up your current environment? The other night I was out for dinner and somehow the conversation came around to bell curves and standard deviations. <laughs> standard deviation. There's an oxymoron for you. I asked the 14-year-old niece if she'd studied bell curves yet in school. In being 14, she's like, bro, we did that years ago in China. And this led to a conversation about how we know things. Evidence. Yeah, there's a buzzword these days. And the scientific method. And so I asked her, what's the first step in the scientific method? And she says, observation. Wow. You know those moments when something just goes through you and everything's different? I had completely forgotten about that. That the scientific method begins with simply paying attention to the world, observing without filters, allowing for a moment of unfiltered curiosity to step out of the frames and the models and language itself and let ourselves be in the super life. Observe by taking the world in through dilated open senses. Next comes the step of drawing up a hypothesis, testing it and eventually distilling out some kind of evidence for or against our hypothesis. Sadly, these days put the words, air quotes here, research shows in front of anything and it's easy to trick people into believing you. And don't get me wrong, I think the scientific method is brilliant, magical really, as it can get us out of the echo chamber of our own mind. And you know, a true scientist is as happy to have a hypothesis proven wrong as they are to have it proven right. It's a kind of spiritual practice to step away from attempting to prove your narrative and instead stand in a place of being open to discovery. And it starts not with an idea about the world that we want to prove, but rather an open attentiveness to what it is that sets us down a path of inquiry. Yeah, the first step, observation. All right, enough jawboning here. Let's get into today's conversation about medicine in my favorite place to eat street food, Taiwan. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. 
Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. My guest today is Greg Zimmerman. Greg and I are sitting down for a conversation across some major time zones. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. He's in Tainan, Taiwan. Man, I wish I was in Taiwan as well, because that's a cool place to hang. And today we're going to be having a little conversation. Well, just, you know, conversation of some Chinese medicine guys geeking out that have both spent a little time over on the beautiful island and uh, interested in the medicine. There's a couple things that we've talked about over the past couple of weeks getting ready for this, and we're going we're gonna to dig into it here today. So, uh, Greg, wanting me like logical. Oh, man. Hey, everybody. Great to have you here. You know, I think the last time we ran into each other, it actually was on the street in Tainan. It was. Yeah, we ran into each other, kind of like scooted into each other, actually, and it was here in Tainan. You know, one of the things I want to talk about is medicine in Taiwan. You know, so often, especially here in the West, and and if you haven't been to Asia, we often will think that if we're closer to Asia, if we're in Asia, we're like closer to the medicine. I'd like to get your take on that. What You know, you spent time here in the States, you live over there at this point. I'd like to get a sense of Chinese medicine over there in Asia. How's it different than it is here in the States? And and do you actually feel closer to it because you're there? I do feel closer to it in certain ways over here because I'm kind of rubbing elbows with it in a lot of different capacities. And I can give you some examples of that. In Orange County, where I lived before, there is a, a large population of people who are interested in Chinese medicine. And there are a lot of clinics and so forth. But you don't have the diversity of the options and the clinical settings that you have over here. For instance, if I walk down the street over here, I'm going to pass by several Chinese medicine clinics, big and small. I'm going to pass by clinics that are set up professionally, and I'm going to walk by mom-pa stores. But I'm also going to walk by those like Dieda shops and Kung Fu medicine little shops and 
Chinese herb stores and pharmacies that have Chinese herbs and open markets with Chinese herbs and hot pot places with Chinese herbs and food, <laughs> other food places with Chinese herbs. And you're going to, you're just going to see the whole ordeal just out on the street. So you are a little bit closer to it from that point of view. Well, and the thing that always cracked me up when in Taiwan is you can be checking out with your coffee from 7-Eleven and they got little one hit shots of like uh Su Tang and uh Xiaoyao San and all that stuff. It's right at the checkout counter. Oh yeah, right at the checkout counter and all the like so called some kind of dragon formulas for men and <laughs> libido formulas and all kind of stuff. They're all right there. You're right. You know, the stuff that we hear about how it you know, it's an integrated thing in the life, you do see it over there that way. You know, not to mention people in the parks in the morning, a lot of Qigong and Taiji and, you know, all that good stuff. Push hands. It's, it's all over the place. Oh, yeah. How do people in Taiwan see Chinese medicine? You know, over here, of course, it's a transplant and it's a little bit weird. How do people over there see it? Is it is it a go-to? Is it a add-on? There's different groups of inside the population here, especially like in Tainan where you have this like older population mixed with the younger population and older population that's their mind is kind of in the old world and you have this younger population where they're very progressive thinking and so it depends on who you're talking with if you're talking with someone maybe in the age group of 60 or 70 it seems to be like really a, a staple to their life and then if you're talking to somebody that is a working professional here but they went to school like at usc or something like that and then moved back to taiwan it is kind of a, um, a curiosity for them something they grew up with and were exposed to when they were children, uh, maybe with their grandparents. And then they're very curious about it still, and they don't know that much. So there's a whole variety of perspectives on Chinese medicine here that I've encountered anyways. What about in terms of integration into the healthcare system? Most hospitals here, big and small, do have a Chinese medicine department. I've been in some pretty big hospitals that are related to the university or affiliated with the university, and they'll have a pretty good-sized Chinese medicine department. And some of the other hospitals that maybe are run by organizations like the Siji hospitals, they'll have Chinese medicine departments. Um, Ida has Chinese medicine departments. I think it was just a couple of days ago, I was in Zhanghua, which is a smaller city in a small hospital, and they even had a Chinese medicine department. So it's pretty integrated. But from the experiences that I've had, it's not like fully integrated when you go into the hospital, you're just automatically going to see like both a Western and a Chinese medicine doctor. There's usually some kind of arrangement that's made and depending on the case and the family and so forth. So it's like integrated, but maybe not automated. So would you say it's that the doctors in the hospital say, oh, you know, you get this treatment, that treatment, that treatment, some's Western, some's Chinese, or is it more that people themselves self-select? They say, yep, I'm going to go see this bone doctor over here that, you know, does bone setting, or I'm going to go see this orthopedic because I want a, a surgery? Well, I think it's a little bit of both because there'll be patients who request it when they're in the hospital. And then there'll be other circumstances where they're referred to them inside of the hospital. You know, one thing that's different over here in the hospitals is the family plays more of a role of responsibility for the patients than what we do in the States. Meaning like in the States, when you enroll in the hospital, there's usually like nursing staff and nutrition staff and everybody's caring for you and making sure you have all your meals and so forth. And they do that here as a service, but not everybody does or utilizes that service in the hospital setting. Sometimes the families manage all of that. And when they're managing all that, they may bring some of the Chinese medicine in with that as well, or like a family member may be requesting that for the patient and it can be integrated that way. It's interesting how the family is much more involved. I remember when I lived there, I had a roommate who was in a scooter accident, scooter accident, imagine that, and uh, ended up in the hospital. And there was this whole thing where the friends had to get together and make sure that he had food and clean changes of clothes and all that because the hospitals just didn't do that stuff. Yeah, it's expected of family to take care of that. And if your family's not available, then usually it is friends. And if you don't have friends who are available, there's people that you can hire to be caretakers that will come in and do that for you. I want to switch this just a bit here. Your study of Chinese medicine, did you start studying it in Taiwan or did you start studying it here in the States? 
I started studying it in the States, in Hawaii, actually. That's barely the States. Yeah, it's kind of kind of halfway the States. Yeah, and what got you involved in it? What, what drew you in? Mostly because I did Kung Fu since I was young, and most of the martial art teachers that I had were also doctors, whether they were a Chinese medicine doctor or a Kung Fu doctor or a bone doctor. They all, almost all of them that I had were some kind of practitioner of medicine, and it really captured my interest. I got to see a lot of um, Chinese medicine in action when I was younger, so it just really made me very interested in it. You said Kung Fu doctors or bone doctors. What are you talking about here? Um, sometimes martial artists will learn a variety of medical procedures from like their master, and they'll pass it down through the lineage of, of that particular martial arts system. And it's usually, the emphasis is usually on helping people with injuries because of what they're doing in the martial arts, like setting bones or patching people up or resolving blood stasis and treating massive bruises or also using herbs to strengthen their body or to help them develop their chi for qigong or help them to develop like the iron body or the iron palm or to thicken their bones. And they'll have these different procedures and recipes and techniques that are inherent in that martial arts system. So usually a lot of times we just call them like a, a gong fu doctor because of their relationship to the martial art. So you said iron body, iron iron fist. How do you develop that with herbs or acupuncture or doctoring sorts of things? I mean, is this, is this the, the basic stuff that we learn about with chi tonics and things like that? Or is there something else going on here? There is some of the chi tonics and the blood tonics and yang tonics and all the different tonic formulas, but there is something else going on there. And it's really just family systems where they have herbal formulas that they believe helps your body tissue develop with the certain exercise regimen that you're doing to develop this so-called like iron body or iron shirt where you're mostly like strengthening the exterior body and strengthening the fascia to take heavy hits. And then you practice some movements and breathing and techniques. You know, sometimes you get hit and you build an endurance and intolerance and a strength based around that. And then a lot of times you'll take like herbal formulas that are designed to help build up those tissues, like help build up fascia or help build up bone and to complement the training. You know, fascia is such an interesting topic. I mean, it's all over the news. You know, recently they, Western medicine discovered the triple burner. That was a big deal for us acupuncturists. I'm curious, the relation of the fascia in the martial arts, it, it sounds like it's really important. It is. A lot of the strange movements that people practice in martial arts where they're contorting their bodies and doing repetitive motions or doing kind of like twisting motions, a lot of those motions are actually designed to help strengthen up the tendon and the muscle and the fascia part of the body. If you've seen like the Shaolin monks and they're taking certain postures and holding them for a certain amount of time. Or if they're, there's a whole set of like certain exercises that are just designed, they're called like muscle tendon bone washing exercises. And if you do those exercises, they will have a certain type of cultivation in your body to help your whole body to open up. It's a kind of form of Qigong. Ultimately it's a form of like Shen Gong, like the spiritual discipline and cultivation but they actually work with the fascia bodies and the tendons and the, and the hands and the arms, and they just strengthen them directly. It's a really fascinating part of, of martial arts that actually a lot of acupuncturists might do to strengthen up their hand for needling. Can you give us an example of some of these exercises? Like sometimes you might see Kung Fu people doing like exercises with those big iron balls or those iron rings, or they'll be doing exercises where their hands are down to the sides and they're flexing their, their wrists up in a, in a kind of quick repetitive motion with some breathing. And those are examples of just of some of that tendon muscle washing. So you're really focusing the, the movement and the movement of chi and blood in, into that particular uh, type of tissue. Yeah, and isolating it through the exercise and in the motion. And then it's, it builds up over time. Another route is to actually get like 
kind of like hit repeatedly or something like this or some disciplines like this where you'll stand in a posture or a deep stance and then your teachers might hit you with sticks or hit you with um, some kind of sword or something like this that's not sharpened and um, poles and then you start building up a tolerance to that kind of beating and as you every time you get beat down and you recover you build up a certain amount of strength in the exterior part of your body and then it starts building this so-called like iron shirt or um, that's usually how I hear it translated is like an iron shirt and there's a lot more to it than that but that's some of the the things that people do and then the Chinese herbs example would be like you get beat up pretty bad by your teacher and then you take the Chinese herbs while you recover. It helps move the blood. It brings more blood to the exterior part of the body. It helps you to recover quicker, but it like builds the tissue while it rehabs it and then kind of harnesses the effects of, of that certain discipline and exercise. It sounds like you have studied a fair amount of, you know, generally what's called hit medicine, the trauma medicine, through your work with studying martial arts. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Have you learned any of the bone setting stuff? Since I mostly practiced with the license in the States, you can't really do that over there. So I I have some knowledge on it, but I have less experience with it, to be honest. What about in Taiwan? Are you are you practicing medicine there? I do see patients here, but I you know, I don't have a license in Taiwan, so I can't have a, a clinic and hang up my shingle. But I do see people here, you know, friends and family and I've been doing a lot of that since I've been here. What are the kinds of things that people tend to go see a, a Zhongyi for in Taiwan? And, and and maybe we should even make a distinction between going to see someone like you, who's this white guy from the United States, and going to see, you know, someone Taiwanese. This evening, I I went to dinner and I I passed by two Chinese medicine clinics and I looked inside and I saw a whole lot of people sitting there that obviously were having like a cold. <laughs> so a lot of people who go see a Chinese medicine doctor when they catch cold over here, they're hoping to get rid of the, the cold really quickly because they, they want to go back to work. And you'll see a lot of people like in Chinese medicine outpatient clinics, like with, with cold symptoms and fevers and flus and allergies and respiratory problems. And that's very one very common set of patients that you'll see um, of course, you'll see everything that you see in the States, you know, chronic pain and all kinds of problems in these clinics, just like you would see over there. And then for me, like the kind of people that I've seen has kind of been two different groups, probably just because of the friends and family that I have here. Is One of them is I've treated quite a few people with scooter accidents, just like you mentioned earlier, because that does happen pretty frequently here. And I tended to see more like grandmas who have been in scooter accidents and had broken bones and contusions and pretty massive bruising and so forth. And then the other group of people that I tend to work with here is I've, I've been working with a lot of um, late stage cancer patients and terminally ill patients over here too. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? I tend to see them and I will try to like tend to them like on a weekly or like a even a daily basis if if I can you know during during certain periods of their therapy so a lot of times what will happen is they'll they'll go to the hospital here and then they'll do the treatment like the chemotherapy and the cancer treatment here is is very very similar to the states and they'll be going through um, the cancer treatments and the the chemo and the radiation and whatever they're doing surgeries. And then I'm doing a lot of palliative care and a preventative type care, just like I would do over there. But here I'm doing, I'm able to be a little bit more aggressive with it. I have more compliance with the patients and their families over here. I can use more bulk herbs and there's so much more available quickly that I can prescribe herbs for them and just run down really quick and buy new herbs and cook it for them. And I can do a full on moxa treatments over here without worrying about my landlord thinking I'm you know, getting high in my clinic or I can really go to town with the, with the traditional type of treatments over here just because people are a little bit more acclimated and, and there's a lot of tolerance for whatever a practitioner suggests, you know, people respect you as a, as a practitioner here. So if you're like, Hey, you know what, you need to do moxibustion in your case for these reasons, 
they don't really need you to tell them why or to convince them to do it. They're just like, okay, I'm going to do it. And you can do it every day for a month if you need to. And you can just really offer all of your abilities and services to the patients over here. That's really what it's been like for me. Whatever modality I think is best for them or a mixture of them, like all I have to do is to say, we're going to do this. And I have full compliance from the patients and the family and and it's been a really, really great experience because I've been really able to really tap into all the things that I've learned and try my best to offer it to patients. And you can kind of like what you might do if you're if you had a little hospital where you're able to tend to the patients every day and every night. It's kind of like that. Yeah. So so it's not like here where people come in once a week. You ask them to drink some herbs or even moxa, and it's like, well, what? Why? That's I mean, they have no background understanding for it over here. Right. Which so often will get in the way. Oh, and by the way, don't drink icy drinks. And people look at you like you just grew a third eye. <laughs> yeah. It's so opposite over here. If I if I pull out an icy drink, people are looking at me like, what are you trying to do, kill yourself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're a Chinese medicine doctor. What's wrong with you? That's right. What's wrong with you? You should be drinking Baijiu. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's been a good experience being able to, to do that and not not have to spend a lot of time explaining why you're doing something but just doing it and it's, it gives you a different perspective on your own practice i think in a in a certain way because you just are more action oriented yeah you don't you don't have to do all the translation so to speak no you don't have to do that too much now i'm, I'm a little bit curious you know we all have different experiences of course i'm wondering how you are accepted there as this white American practicing Chinese medicine? At least on the, on the level of conversation and so forth, I've been pretty accepted. Um, and that's largely because when I've met people, I'm always meeting them through my own friends and family that are here. You know, it's like all personal introductions. I don't have like a business where people are just coming in to meet me for the first time as a, as a stranger and, and gone through that. It's like, it's always, I know Greg and this is, my uncle, or this is my uncle's friend or something like that. So I feel like I've been received pretty warmly. You know, another thing is I worked for many years with a Chinese herb company here. And that's another part of um, like, they're, they know that company. And then I work with them. So it's like another, there's confidence because I worked with that company also. And that does help. So you've got personal connections, you have guanxi. I have a bit of that over here. I found that when I was there in conversation, yeah, it was always kind of cool. Oh, you do Chinese medicine. That's interesting. In terms of actually seeing patients, I don't think I ever had a Taiwanese person come to me. But then again, I, don't, I was just more of a student and studying there. I wasn't as embedded in the culture with family the way that you are. Mine's been a little bit like almost the opposite because I live here and you know, my wife's from here and her family's here. So I'm kind of like living from that angle in a way. And I haven't really met that many other like foreigners here, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, a handful, but not that many. And so I've, I've pretty much been living like a very localized kind of lifestyle. And so the people that I meet, it's always through the people that I'm around over here. So it's, it's kind of like the other end of the extreme in a way. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. 
Yeah. Well, and there's not a lot of foreigners down in uh, Tainan either. Yeah, not traditionally. There's there's more now. You'd be surprised if you came over. What, what's bringing more foreigners into the area? Um, it's a combination of people really like the city and it, the charms that the city has. And they have some pretty good program at the university now, uh, MBA programs and some pretty good scholarship and grants that's bringing people over. There's um, quite a few people doing, like I said, an MBA. And I think there's some kind of um, maybe like aeronautical engineering or some kind of program that's they're teaching in, I believe, in English, and then they're able to take the Chinese language uh, program as well. And I think it's even free of tuition if they join the other program. And it's attracting more and more people from all over the world. So there's, I've met quite a few people around here where I am because I'm in the East District, pretty close to the major university here. And I'll see people and meet them occasionally. And a lot of them are here because of that college program. You mentioned Tainan is charming. Mm-hmm. Paint us a little picture of Tainan. Tainan is kind of like the old capital of Taiwan, and it's a it's a port city. So you've got you've got areas of Tainan where you have old fortresses um, that were built by the old Chinese that were here, and then Dutch settlers that were here, and then there was a time where during the Japanese occupation, where the Japanese built Japanese colonial style buildings and and you got all this like kind of old buildings that are really kind of interesting visually and there's a lot of old architecture but at the same time the city's kind of like small like everything's small like the streets more are more narrow and the houses tend to be more small in a lot of areas even you walk around the streets you see lots and lots of flowers and plants and art and deco and you probably are familiar with um a lot of the renovation that happens here where You'll have an old building that was built uh, maybe like in 1940 or 1930 or even older and people will buy it and then they'll turn it into like a coffee shop or something and then they'll redesign half of it or like the interior and part of the exterior into like a modern theme but then they'll keep part of that original um, infrastructure and of the building showing and then it'll, it'll show like the old and the new at the same time. So it makes it a very warm feeling and very interesting at the same time. And you put all those elements together, it really does kind of have a, a charming feel to it visually. Plus Tainan's kind of famous for the like run chi, like the, the people's touch, if you want to call it that, the people are quite friendly in general. You get to know your neighbors and I can tell you a lot of little stories about, you know, how people tend to be a little bit friendly here. And it's nice. After a while, you get used to it, and um, and you feel like you're part of a community. And so the, the feeling to me is um, charming. I've only spent limited time in Tainan. Charming is a word that, in my mind, also describes it. And, and like you said, the way that people will take and blend the old with the new so that both aspects show, I find really interesting. And, and I would say that is more than just in Tainan. I would say Taiwan in general, at least in my limited experience, that combination of really old traditional with ultra new modern, and that they're not contradictions, but they actually blend together. It shows up in all kinds of places. You know, I mean, you can be walking down the street, you can buy the most high tech cell phone in one store. Next to that store is a 7-Eleven. Next to that is some old temple. Next to that is, yeah, like your Gong Fu shop with some stinky herbs. And then you go down an alley to a night market. Yeah, it's totally like that. It was just a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, wanting to get, you know, the Xiaochu, like the small. Um, oh, the little street food. Street foods, you know, it's the, yeah. the city's famous for that. And um, so we want to get some those um, small street foods and. There's a famous old street that you've, I'm sure you've been there. It's the Gohua Street. It's a really old street, and they have a lot of the famous foods on that street. And so we went down there, and it's really small, narrow roads. There's a lot of old parts to that section of the city and, um, and some, like, smaller streets. So I somehow ended up going down one of the smaller streets on the scooter, and it's really jam-packed, and it's hard to maneuver around. And I look on my left, and there's this just row of just really old, tiny houses. And parked right in front of it is this like brand new, really nice Bentley parked right there, smashed as close as can be inside of 
something like a porch. <laughs> I mean, like I'm talking like a, a marble distance between the walls on both sides. This is like a very expensive car and scooters are just dodging it by inches, you know, and you got, and then right there trying to pass this Bentley on the other side is, um, you got an old lady on a, on a three wheeled makeshift bicycles with you know, collecting recyclables and wearing those old kind of like old Chinese style hats. And then you got the other guy on the other side trying to pass through with his BMW. And then, he, you know, it's just, it just goes on and it's just such a mix in a small area that it's really fun actually, because it truly is a mix of old and new and, and even some of like the Western progressive type of, ideologies and then this old old world type of ideology it's all right there on the street right in front of you <laughs> and it kind of permeates the culture you know i mean we were talking earlier about hospitals and how chinese medicine is in a lot of major hospitals my experience as well is that it's integrated into the healthcare system the insurance system there as well you want to get acupuncture you want to get herbs use the same card that you go to the emergency room with or do you go see your dentist with and it's and it's really efficient too. It's not only is it very cost effective because you have this insurance coverage that allows you to use that same card to, that you would go in to see a dermatologist with or a cardiologist with. You can go in to um, clinics that are licensed for that, um, which pretty much all the ma major clinics are. And you go in and you have this card with a chip on it, and they take your card and they enter it to the computer and in the chip reader and boom, there's your, all your medical records and, you know, you get your, your herbs, your treatment, your prescription and what's going on. And, you know, your medical records are filled out and you get your card back and, and you pay the, the very comfortable uh, copay that you have to pay and, and you're in and out and it functions very efficiently. Yeah. I think it's probably one of the most extraordinary national healthcare systems in the world. It really is actually. It's, some of the clinics see such a high volume of patients too. And that's something that's really different with um, the West and what I see over in these areas. And, you know, like most Chinese medicine clinics in the West, you, you have to spend some time with your patients typically, or at least it's kind of expected with most people. I think they want to spend some time in discussing the issue and some time on the table and some time maybe with some therapy and so forth. And you, you have to slot out like half an hour time spots and stuff with patients from most clinics, I think. And over here, people are spending I don't know, five or 10 minutes with their patients sometimes. Um, and they're seeing hundreds of patients in a day, not just like like a good day is 15 or 20 patients. Sometimes they're seeing two, three or 400 patients. Yeah, and that's a huge difference. How would you say the expectations are different from Taiwan to the States in terms of what the patients are looking for in a doctor and how they expect a doctor to interact with them? I guess from when I talk to some of the people about it here, what I've heard is when they go to see the doctor, um, the doctor has a license because he's already he or she is already has a, um, a certain level of competence. So they they go in there trusting the doctor and not really needing to spend so much time talking with them and to kind of fill them out and all that kind of stuff. They just go in there. And they really don't say too much and so forth. So their expectation really is for the doctor to take the lead and that they will know what's the right thing to do and they will prescribe the right kind of thing because of their competency level. And the patients really uh, just trust that process a lot. On the other hand, sometimes they do feel um, like they're rushed a little bit too much. Because sometimes they really it's really fast-paced and they wish that they had a little bit more time are you saying the patients want more time or the doctors Sometimes want the more time? The patients will mention, I'm sure the doctors would like to slow down a bit too, but um, I've heard that from people who, when I talk to them, you know, friends or anybody over here, like how do they feel about when they go to the doctor? Um, most of the time they just, they just say like, well, I, you know, I just want to go there and then they know what I need to have done. And they're kind of in a hurry, even though like Taiwan's kind of a fast paced place. You know, people are always kind of moving quickly. And um, so their expectation is for the doctor to do their job the right way quickly, mostly. Because <laughs> <laughs> they got a scooter to jump on and, and get to the front of the line. Everything's moving along really quickly over here, I would say. Even in Tainan, it tends to move pretty quickly. And so the interaction is usually pretty quick. And their expectation is 
a little bit that they want things to move quickly, but um, but they're expecting the doctor to have the competency level too. So you kind of need to to do your job well but fast. They don't expect their acupuncture treatment to be a spa treatment. Not necessarily, no. I mean, you go in the you go in the clinics and it's it's not looking like a spa treatment. People are sitting on chairs and they're not in a lavish room with heaters and all that stuff. They're just it can be pretty practical and no nonsense. Yeah, I, I actually saw a clinic last time I was there, and this blew me away. It was you know it was right on the street. Many of them are, and they had some big screen TVs, and they had people in these uncomfortable chairs. I mean, like chairs, like waiting room chairs, right? Three rows of them. I think there were probably eight to a row. So they're like, you know, 24 or 25. Everyone's looking at the TV and you got this acupuncturist and an assistant who is just like flying from patient to patient, slapping in needles and people are just slack jawed watching TV. I I looked at, I was just like, how does that work? (laughs) It's... (laughs) I can't really speak for them, but I think there's just a certain element of like, they're going to trust that it's going to be done and they're just going to like chill out with it. And I don't know. I've heard people say that Taiwanese don't like needles, but they seem to tolerate it pretty well. So I don't, I don't really know. They seem to, I don't really know where the tolerance level is, but um, people needle pretty fast. They use large gauge needles and the people aren't, they're not very timid. They're just sitting there and um, just taking it. Just like you said. I would actually say, and this is true what I've seen on the mainland as well, very heavy-handed needling. I mean, if I attempted to treat my patients in those ways, I don't think I'd have so many patients. There is a cultural aspect to this where I think it's expected that there's going to be some sensation. Actually, this is my experience back in the States. When I was in Orange County, There's so I started seeing a lot of... Um, patients there that were from China in Orange County and if you treated in terms of needling the way you needle like if you did it the same way that you might do for the local community they were kind of like can you do this harder can you can you use bigger needle because that's what I'm used to it's like you know back in China we they use a big needle I feel it all you know I feel a lot <laughs> they're kind of looking at you like why aren't you doing this more aggressively right I thought you said you knew how to do acupuncture. Yeah, what are you? Why are you so gentle? You know, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm calibrated this way right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think those cultural aspects really do come into play. So you're outside of the insurance system there. So what does it take to get in the insurance system in Taiwan? What if you want to be a part of that? Well, it's 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 not easy if you're a foreigner, really, because. Um, well, I guess prior to a few years ago, like there was a, a some testing that you had to take to get a license, and the testing is not easy by any by any means. It's pretty it's pretty hard. A lot of reading and answering questions by essay, I believe, and this is all in like traditional Chinese. So you basically have to memorize lots of books and then answer really hard questions. <laughs> and the people that are going to school over here for Chinese medicine are really, you know, they're really some of the top academic students and so forth so it's you, you got to go through all of that um and that testing process to get licensed and then you have to have the license in order to get in, into the insurance thing so if you're not really at the level with traditional chinese to be able to do all that it's really quite hard to get that license to get yourself into the insurance system i don't know a lot of the details but i think they've changed it now to where in order for you to take those exams you actually have to go through the the uh, school programs now and then take the exams and then get in into the field that way so it's pretty hard to just like apply for a license and take like an exam or something as a foreigner from what i've heard this is pretty much people just tell me it's impossible to do that that's what i heard too when i was there in fact what i've heard from friends i had in in beijing who were from taiwan but they were studying their medicine in china they were saying, yeah, I'm going to go back and I'm not going to be able to be in the insurance system because I'm not going to be able to sit for the exam because I didn't study it in Taiwan. So there's there's a really high bar for that stuff over there. It is. And the schooling's longer too. Um, it's not very easy. It's a, it's a big challenge. Uh, my wife actually studied and took part of that exam when they were offering it in 
so I heard a little bit about it and it was, it's very rigorous. Well, and a lot of it is supposedly not even about medicine. It's more about Chinese classics. Yeah, that could be, um, it's all tied together and you get into the kind of the ancient Chinese and you got those old texts. I have to ask her about that, how much of the non-Chinese medicine stuff is involved. I think we see this in Western medicine here too, to some degree, right? You got to learn all kinds of math maybe before you get to, uh, you know, get through your program as a doctor, even though you may not use that much math. That's true. Or like ethics or something. And, um, well, ethics is probably not a bad thing to have under your belt. <laughs> no, I think it's a great thing to have <laughs> under your belt. <laughs> I love ethics. <laughs> <laughs> so you do both acupuncture and herbs with folks. Do you have any kinds of acupuncture in particular that you lean on when you treat people? Any methods that that, that you find that you like to work with that are effective for folks over there? I usually try to keep things pretty simple. I use a lot of the Dong's acupuncture because I have experience with that and it seems to work pretty well for people. And I use the classical acupuncture just from whatever I've been able to learn from the classical in perspective, like from the Neijing and Nanjing and those things. I, I try to use that as much as I can, as, as much as I understand. I use some of the abdominal acupuncture. I find that works really, really, really good. And I use them interchangeably based on whatever's happening, whatever the scenario is. Also, like circumstantially, like if you're seeing patients that cannot turn over because they're in the bed and you have a limited area where you can work in and can you accomplish what you need to accomplish using limited amount of space, like in a, some kind of microsystem approach and so it's a mix between those, um, whatever I can utilize from those systems that I understand and have experience with and the circumstance laying before me or sitting before me. Yeah, that's one of the great things about acupuncture. There's so many approaches. We can get to anything from almost anywhere. Oh, and I do, I do, I, I forgot to mention, I do some of the um, Sa'am acupuncture too. And that's really good in, in those circumstances as well, because you can do a lot with just four points or something like that. Yeah, that's something that's really gotten my attention recently. I I first heard about Sa'am when I was in Taiwan. Oh. <laughs> but I could never find any, I couldn't really find anything written about it. And there wasn't much in English. I don't think I ever found anything in Chinese. I don't read Korean, so that didn't help. And it wasn't running into running into Toby Daly that, that I started to learn some of it. Where did you pick up on the Sa'am stuff, and, and I'd like to get your thoughts and perspective on it. Um, it was actually a long time ago because I did um, I did a martial art, a Korean martial art, and my teacher was a doctor, and his martial arts school shared space with his clinic, So, and his daughter's an acupuncturist, so they're all from Korea, and they utilized the Sa'am acupuncture, and I, saw, I got introduced to it just by being there in the clinic watching what they were doing. Basically, once they knew I was interested in Chinese medicine, they started inviting inviting me in to see them treat some of the patients and and just describing like, oh, this is, you know, what I'm doing is called Sa'am acupuncture. And so I got introduced, this is probably like 20, 25 years ago or something. And so I got introduced just in the clinics. And then later, um, I was a supervisor, of one of the schools in Orange County and a clinical supervisor in the acupuncture school. And we had a couple other supervisors that were from Korea, they were visiting from like Kyunghee University and those kind of schools, and they were utilizing that. So then I got exposed there as well. Where would you say this technique tends to be most helpful? I mean, when do you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to see if the SOM system might be helpful in this situation? Are there any circumstances where it really comes front of mind? From, from what I know of it, because I don't think I know the whole system in and out so, as well as some, so as those doctors who studied it very, in a very focused way. Like I, it's a combination of where I see uh, some like internal problem and there's like the organs that are involved or the systems that are involved are kind of following this, this same pattern that the SOM acupuncture points are patterned for. And then I tend to use it more for internal medicine disorders because that's how I understand it better. And then the other part of it is like I tend to use it when I feel when I'm using pulse as a guide for internal problems where I'm not quite clear exactly the approach I need to do, and then I'm just following the pulse and I have like a kind of a big picture frame of mind with the patient. Like I'm just an example. Like 
they having they're having pain in like the low back and, and in the stomach as well. And then it looks like I'm not sure if they're having just low back problem or if they're actually having like a large intestine problem. I'm just not quite sure yet. And then I feel the pulse and then I feel the pulse is kind of rapid, signifying that this is more of a young problem as maybe in, in, in a related organ. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this uh, solid acupuncture and try a few needles to directly treat like the large intestine and balance that system out. If every, all those things are lining up, then I'll utilize that. And that's usually my perspective on using it right now. And it works really well most of the time. Um, and then you can kind of see the results really quickly, either by the pulse or just by symptoms. It kind of clears up the picture and tells me, oh, okay, I was um, I was partially right, or I, I can see a little bit more is involved after this treatment or whatever. And, um, and it's pretty it's pretty useful. I've noticed that you will often see results, good or bad. Yes. Um, quite <laughs> quickly. Have you also noticed that you can take people in... Uh in a bad direction with this stuff? Yeah, uh, I have. And it, it's a little bit scary in the beginning because um, I didn't know the whole system to start with. Like I just, I was learning and then starting to apply. And it's like, whoa, um, with the TCM that I learned in school, I didn't really see like very quick positive or negative results. It would tend to be kind of um, neutral in a way, kind of um, easy to work with. But then when I started using this, and if I didn't do the right treatment, it's like, oh, a symptom would pop up like almost just right then and right there. And the patient might, you know, even describe it right away. It was very, very interesting. But yes, I did see both positive and negative results very quickly. And of course, the negative ones were startling. The positive ones were, were great, um, but the negative ones were startling. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Those negative ones really set you back and make you go, all right, I was wrong about this. Now I've got to retune and reconfigure pretty quickly. I find it to be a really great motivator for thinking through the problem. One of the things I found really interesting about it, and I'm curious if, if you've seen this too in, in your study of it, the way that organs are paired up, the way that channels are paired up is not the way that we learned it in school, right? So for example, you've got the uh, small intestine and the heart, yin-yang organ pair. But in the SOM system, the small intestine is connected to the kidney because they're both dealing with heat and cold. And so they're paired that way. Is that Have you noticed that in your study of it, that there's these other organ pairings like gallbladder and pericardium, that kind of thing? I've noticed that just in, in some of the Korean approaches to acupuncture, just like some different pairings of organs, some different associations. And in the SOM, SOM as well, I've noticed that. Yeah, and it's interesting to to kind of look into it and see like why they're paired that way. And there's there's a functional reason for it that's just a different perspective than some of the standard pairings that that you get used to. And I've, I've noticed that. Yeah, I you know you use the word functional. You say there's a a functional reason. I started to cotton to that after using it for a while. And, and it really started making sense after I made a diagnosis and then started thinking in TCM by mistake. So I had this patient, overweight, sweats easy, right? So she's sort of wet on the inside, wet on the outside, big puffy tongue. 
And I'm thinking, oh, spleen deficiency, right? TCM, spleen deficiency. You know, in TCM, what will we do? Well, we're going to tonify the spleen. And I thought, oh, good. So I need to tonify her spleen. So I did a SOM treatment and tonified her spleen, which after the treatment, she comes up and goes, am I supposed to be dizzy and nauseous? And I'm thinking, uh-oh. In the SOM system, the large intestine is paired with the spleen because the spleen is about dampness. And the large intestine is about dryness, right? You've got the dryness of the metal and you've got the dryness of the yangming and a little bit of heat in there too from the yangming, but you got the dryness of the yangming, dryness of the metal, large intestine. So really if there's a, if someone is in some, you'd say spleen excess, but in TCM, we'd say, oh, they're spleen deficient. They're actually spleen excess. They've got too much tie in energy. And so functionally, when you think about what we do when we tonify the spleen in TCM is we're actually drying it out. We're actually bringing the large intestine, the yangming, and the metal energy to that damp, wet earth. Yeah. It's so fun to think of it that way, I think, too. It's like um, not this like supplementary type of treatment. It's actually like almost like a hair dryer drying it out and then making it more functional and stronger <laughs> like this. Yeah. <laughs> Bring in the hair dryer here. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, exactly. And for me, what it's done is it's really taken me away from thinking so much about theory. Oh, the theory says I should do this or that. And instead, what I'm looking at is going, okay, here's what I'm presented with. What is the function in the body? What is the function in the phases? What is the function in the six levels that will take care of that problem? and go at it from that angle. That's, that's something I really like about that approach with acupuncture, with the SOM acupuncture, of course, as well as with many other modalities. But you're really thinking about like, where is this dysfunction? How can we pivot it? Or how can we address it? And I think that kind of modality just really leans itself well towards that kind of problem-solving thinking. Yeah. I'll tell you what else it's done for me. It's helped me to think better about herbs. Yeah, I agree. Because I have to be thinking about functions. I found the same thing. Yeah, you found that too? Yeah, I did. I, I was thinking of that earlier, just, you know, in my mind, like, to me, it tied or like paralleled some of the thinking that I do with herbs when you're, especially if you're using like the six channel theory or six layers and, and you're trying to find out where a problem is, where a dysfunction is and, you know, how you can how you can resolve it or, you know, some people like say pivoted or whatever you need to do with the herbs. It's, I found it to be very correlative and parallel type of thinking. Conveniently, we've got a, a guy that shows up on the podcast from time to time talking more about it. So yeah, those are great podcasts, by the way. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed them. <laughs> well, Toby really knows his stuff with the Sa'am. You know I mean? When he talks about it, this is the thing for me that's so much fun to talk to him about it because he knows it so well. I'm trying to make sense of it, and and he'll just say something, and, and he says it very plainly and very simply, and in my mind, I've turned it into a hairball because I'm just not clear, and then he says this really simple thing, and I go, oh, right, yeah, it's just like that, and then you put in four needles, and the patient falls into a, a deep snore slumber, and you're on to the next patient. I love that kind of clarity that some people can convey. It's really nice. Well, I think that comes from experience. I mean, have you noticed this, that when you're working with someone, especially learning from someone, and they've been at it for decades, I mean, they don't have a bunch of fancy explanations for what they do. They tend to speak pretty simply. Yeah. It's kind of a, the essence of what their knowledge is, and it's just simple and direct and clear, and concise. Yeah. Just takes decades to get there. It does. Hey, I want to get into one more thing here, and then then we should probably wind this down because it's late in Taiwan. You probably need some sleep. <laughs> um, I don't sleep anymore. Oh, okay. That's right. You have children. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's already one a.m. over here. I'm just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You you mentioned um, abdominal acupuncture. I'm I'm curious to know what kind of abdominal acupuncture where you sort of got turned on to it and, and where do you find it to be particularly useful in the patients that you see? Um, I started using it more in when I was in Orange County than I do over here. And I came across it 
a long time ago, just by, you know, just by reading actually. And also at some point there was some kind of like colleague from China that I was at a kind of like a luncheon with or whatever. And she was pretty highly trained in China on this one. And and we got talking about it and it made me want to study it more. So she suggested some materials and I read it. And then I also read some of the other materials that are being published now. And I just started putting into practice just by reading it and reading case studies and so forth. And I really liked using it in in my clinic in Orange County. And for a couple of reasons, one is patients, you know, they're laying on their back and you could just kind of in real time, adjust the treatments or add points or do whatever you need to do just right there on their abdomen. And from what I understand on the abdominal acupuncture is it's preferable to use small needles and thin needles. And a lot of times they're not very deep. And it worked really well with the with a lot of the patients that I see in Orange County. They're kind of needle nervous about needles and so forth. So you can do more with less in, in a certain perspective and kind of have this holistic treatment right there in front of you. And as long as they don't mind you working on their abdomen, you can actually do a lot with it in terms of the whole body treatment. You can complement the treatment that you're already working on. Like if examples that I've done are like if patients having if a patient's having a migraine and you do the standard treatment that you want or a certain treatment that you want to do and they're laying down and it's gotten better, but then it's kind of like related to their neck problem and then they're feeling the neck while they're laying down, you could actually utilize that abdominal acupuncture and just release the neck right then really quickly <laughs> and get it like a better result quick without having to make a, make the move or change the needles out. You can just add right then. And I found it to be very useful that way. Just add something on the abdomen. Yeah. It's like in real time. I love the real time stuff. I, as far as I'm concerned, that's where I want my acupuncture to be. I want to see it in real time. You know what it does, at least what I found is that the expectation of patients where they want to have that time with you and that discourse with you and stuff, if you can translate it into like a, um, a very tangible effect in real time right then, they, they are satisfied quickly. And then also you are too as a practitioner and it, it makes the, the treatments efficient. And then at the same time, everybody's feeling satisfied. Yeah. Needle and talk. There you go. <laughs> I, you mentioned the person with the migraine and then they're getting a little better, but their neck hurts. And so you put a needle in their belly for their neck. Needle in the belly for the neck? Really? I, I, I don't think I've ever heard of this. Oh, really? It's like a micro system that's placed on the abdomen. It's, it's, it's a kind of a hologram of the bagua on the, on the abdomen. So you can, if you will, like imagine somewhere around the REN 12, um, that system has a little bit different measurement for it. That's kind of like the top of the head and then down below the umbilicus by a certain amount, you kind of have the bottom part of the body. And then some area of the legs are mapped out on the, on the sides of the abdomen and arms on the other side of the abdomen. And it's just like a mapping of the human body almost in the diagrams, kind of like a turtle where their top fins are like the arms and then the bottom legs, fins, feet are on the bottom and the tail and, the sequential arrangement is correlated to anatomy is really almost like a, a Bagua arrangement or similar to it. And you needle like there's an area on this map, even though it's on the abdomen, but there's an area on this microsystem map that's going to be correlated to like the neck and the shoulders, for instance, in this case, or low back. And you just needle those points. And the other thing that I really like about abdominal acupuncture is I found like the palpatory diagnosis, um, can really tell you where to needle. Um, you can feel the small nodules and all different kind of morphology in those areas, and you can just follow it. And it can kind of tell you a little bit about what's going on, but you can also treat it really quickly. And it, it does lend itself pretty well to palpatory diagnosis and treatment. Um, Sounds like you could use both the map and the palpation as a way of locating points. That's what I do. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like doing and you don't... diagnosis for herbs anyways, and then uh, as I can kind of do it all at one time right there. Yeah. And then put a needle in and help them at the same time, then go make your herbs up. Yeah. Or learn two things that, without making the abdominal diagnostic part you know, too long. You can just kind of learn a lot of stuff really quick. Are there books in English on this, or are they just in Chinese? There's some in English. I think it was, um, is it Dave Shipsey? Shipsey is his name from... Ireland or Scotland, I believe. Um, I think he has some information that's in English. I, I don't know his uh, website or anything, but you can Google. I think it's Dave Shipsey. 
if I'm not mistaken, and I apologize if I am, but I'll, I'll look it up and get it on the show notes page. Yeah, and if not, just let me know, and I'll find it and send it to you. But it's um, he has some stuff, and he even has some like webinar seminar stuff out on it, I believe. And you mentioned that you don't have to use big old needles and go deep; just yeah, thin and and short will do the trick. Yeah, and that's always nice. Wow, I'm just thinking a little saam with uh, you know some turtle belly acupuncture that might be really powerful. I I've done a lot of that in um, like distal needle dongs acupuncture or five element based acupuncture su points and and it come it combines pretty well and you know like in when you're just dealing with real problems right there in the clinic it it works out pretty nicely. Yeah, well, it's great that you know. I mean, one of the things I've always loved about acupuncture is that you can sometimes see tremendous results very, very quickly. It doesn't always happen, but, you know, often enough to keep it interesting. Oh, yeah. That's the fun times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for spending a little time hanging out and gabbing about medicine. You've got me all homesick for Taiwan at the moment. Oh, I hope you can visit. I'd like to. I, uh, I, you know, I try to get there when I can, and and you're pretty much based there from now on. You you don't have any plans to come back to the states. You're you're you're, you're a Tainan boy now. Uh, I don't know to be honest with you. Like um, I'm here right now, and may do a little back and forth. Um, time will tell. But I do enjoy living here in Tainan. It's a really nice place to live, and it's a good place to eat. It's a great place to eat. Yeah, I was I was in pretty good shape about six months ago, and I'm losing it now because um. I keep wanting to eat these certain foods. I had, I had the really delicious food tonight. It was so good. Um, I hope if you come back here, make sure I pass you that information. It was, it was really just, it's, it's too good. I'm going to go buy a ticket. I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, Greg. You're welcome. And thanks so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.